0: Every Christian is important to the body of Christ. Whether that Christian actually attends church or not is a different thing. They still are important to the church. Uh, there are no superfluous Christians. When I was teaching school and, and I was teaching 7th uh, grade science, as I was mostly a Bible teacher and they asked me to teach 7th grade science and I figured I knew more than a 7th grader. Apparently I don't know more than a 5th grader, but I know more than a 7th grader. And I used to, I told them at the beginning of the class there are no stupid questions. And that wasn't true. <laughs> Found out there were some stupid questions. But there are no superfluous Christians, and that is a true statement. While some Christians act and feel and may be, even be treated as if they're unimportant, it's not the case. Every Christian is necessary to God's plan for His church. All Christians are important. We all have a particular place in God's eternal plan. The Holy Spirit has equipped every single Christian to fill a specific role in the body of Christ. Like springs and cogs and gears in a machine, when they all work together correctly, the machine functions. In the church, we are all cogs and wheels and springs and different parts of the machine, and when we function together as God intends, the church runs smoothly and accomplishes what God intends. The positions that we have within the body of Christ, within the church, are not random. God chose them for us by His intent. Each position was specifically and intentionally chosen by God, and each of us have been equipped to fulfill that specific position. There's a lot of confusion among Christians regarding spiritual gifts. There's confusion not because the Bible is unclear when it comes to spiritual gifts, but because of unfamiliarity with what the Bible actually says, and even worse, with misinterpretation of what the Bible teaches. Paul spoke about spiritual gifts in three of the books he wrote in Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and the most extensive look is in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. He spends three chapters in this book speaking about spiritual gifts because of the confusion and the the misuse of the gifts that was taking place in the church of Corinth. It's necessary for Christians to understand what our roles are how the church is to function, how God has fit everyone together in order to accomplish a greater purpose. Now, this morning, we're going to do a flyover of chapter 12, which means we're just going to touch on some of the main points. And I'm if you've never studied this, uh, you're probably going to be left with more questions than you came in with, but that's okay. Hang in there till the end and Hopefully this will make sense to you. As we fly over chapter 12, we'll see the source and purpose of spiritual gifts, the variety and distribution of spiritual gifts, and the unity and diversity of spiritual gifts. And then we're going to land in chapter 13, the first three verses of chapter 13. We start with the source and the purpose of spiritual gifts. you look at chapter 12, verses 1, we'll read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll go back and talk about those a little bit. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Paul has been given a list of questions by the church at Corinth. And he is systematically working his way through the list of questions or concerns or issues within the church. And he, in chapter 12 through 14, he gets to this issue, this question, this concern about spiritual gifts. So he says, now I want you to understand about spiritual gifts. He says, I don't want you to be unaware or uninformed or your Bible may say ignorant. The The word that is used there is agonao. And it, it's where we get our word Agnostic. An agnostic says, I don't know whether or not there is a God. He's ignorant about the facts on whether or not there's a God. And Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant when it comes to spiritual gifts. I want you to understand spiritual gifts. Every part of the body is important. And each person within the body has these gifts, making them ultimately important. When Christians do not intentionally exercise their spiritual gifts, then it impedes the optimal function of the body. If you had a part of your physical body that refused to work, stopped working, it would impede the normal function of your body. And some of you can relate with this. You lost your hearing or your eyesight or muscles stopped working. If they stop, then you understand it impedes the rest of the body. Your body can still function. It just can't function in an optimal manner. The same way each of us who have a spiritual gift and that's every Christian is important to the healthy functionality of the body. Paul is saying here, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. This is too important of an area for you to be ignorant about. You can't just wander through your Christian life with your fingers in your ears saying, I I can't hear you. It's not important. Skipping over passages of scripture because that's not important for me. This is important. It's important for every Christian. Many Christians are intrigued when it comes to spiritual gifts. They, they want to know what their gift is. What is my spiritual gift? And in fact, you can, you can find it. And I don't, I, I don't encourage this at all, but you can find spiritual gift tests all over the internet. And you can take the test on, uh, and it'll tell you your spiritual gift is whatever. And I, here's the problem with that. You can take it on Monday and it'll give you one list of gifts. And you can take it on Friday and it'll give you a different list of gifts because of the types of questions that they ask. And even those aren't accurate because we all, we may even have the same gift, but we have it to different degrees. And we have a different purpose that God intends in the way that we use that gift. He doesn't intend everybody to use their gifts in the exact same way. What is important is that we begin to understand what spiritual gifts are. And when we understand what they are, and we just serve the Lord, it starts to come out what our spiritual gifts are. becomes self-evident what they are. If you've received Christ, you have one or more spiritual gift. Don't come and ask me what they are. I don't know either. Uh, if you come and ask me, I'm going to tell you it's the gift of giving and encouraging. So... So now, now, go ahead and ask me. Come ask me. You need to be aware that if you're a Christian, you have one or more spiritual gift. And God intends for you to use that gift in the greater body of Christ. You need to understand why you have been given that gift. You understand that the gifts that you have were intentionally given to you by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. In verses 2 and 3, he speaks to the fact that before these these people became believers, they were in idol worship, which was true of most people in Asia Minor in that first century. Before they came to Christ, most of them were in idol worship. You may not have been bowing down to idols in your home before you came to Christ, but you were worshiping idols within your heart, even though you may not have realized it. But he is saying that no one... Speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is a curse and no one can, can affirm Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. He's not saying you can't say the words, but you can't understand that and mean that. In other words, there's a distinct difference between the believer and the unbeliever. And the source of that difference is the work of God in your life and specifically the Holy Spirit. So Paul goes on to explain that the, the source of our spiritual gifts, look at verse 4. Through six. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Paul starts from the very beginning of this discussion on spiritual gifts saying, the entire Godhead is involved in the gifts that you have they're given to you by the spirit they're, they're they're uh the ministry is given by the lord that is jesus and the administrative administration of those or the effects of those is given by god the father all the members of the trinity are involved here there are varieties of gifts as i mentioned paul speaks of gifts in in two of his other books peter also speaks of gifts and none of those places the the list is exhaustive. None of the lists are identical and not one of them contains all of the gifts that are listed. So what we know from that is when we compare all the lists of gifts that we don't have one exhaustive list. We, we may have other gifts that we're not aware of that are not listed here. But we want to be careful about that, that we don't attribute ungodly behavior to some spiritual gift. I had a man tell me one time, I know what you're thinking because I have the gift of discernment. Which is not what the gift of discernment means, but I thought that's interesting. You know my heart, do you? Yes, that's funny because the Bible says I don't even know my own heart. It's desperately wicked. So can I ask you what's in my heart? Because I don't know. Some people take these things that, you know, I have this spiritual gift, Uh you know, I'd I'd love to meet the person with the spiritual gift of cookies. That's the person I want to meet. There are varieties of gifts. Paul's point is there's many different gifts and they all come from the same source. We all are gifted differently, but it all comes from God. All from the same source. There are varieties of ministries. That is, there's a variety of ways to serve. I, my gift is teaching, preaching. That's not everybody else's gift, but that's my primary function. So people see me, they think, well, if I'm gifted, I guess I got to do what the pastor does. No, you, you don't. You have your own gift and you need to exercise your gift. There's a variety of ways to serve. Even two people with the same gifting, two people gifted to teach, won't do it the same way and always in the same function. Not everybody who's gifted to teach will pastor a church. Not everybody who's gifted to teach will preach to a congregation. There's a myriad of ways that people can use those. Gifts, the variations, are God's plan for us to reach the largest group of people that we can. So there are different gifts, there's different mixture of the gifts, and they're used in different ways. This enables the church to to function here in the U.S., in Africa, in India, in China, and other places that have different cultures and different needs, and to have people have the same giftedness but used different ways. Since the gifts are from God and the ministries are from God and the power to use them is all from God, ultimately it doesn't matter what your ministry is as long as you're doing it for the glory of God. God has gifted each of us that are saved, for a purpose, to accomplish his purpose of building up the body of Christ. So it's irrelevant whether you have a gift that somebody else has. or There's no room for that. We'll talk about that in a moment, to be envious or jealous of somebody else's gift. Verse 7 is sort of a purpose statement of the whole section here. Where he says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, look at this, for the common good. Each of us who are gifted, and that's every believer, each believer who's gifted is gifted for the common good. That is when we use our gifts, it is for the good of the body. For the common good. Our gifts are not given for our own personal edification. I promise you, I don't sit in my office by myself looking in a mirror preaching. And when I'm done, I think, man, he's good. Convict myself and fall down and repent. That happens when I'm studying. We're gifted for the common good. We don't exercise our spiritual gifts for our own edification. That may happen in the course of exercising our gifts, but it's for the common good. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit has gifted you in some way that is intended by Him To benefit the entire body of Christ. Your spiritual gifts are not for your own use. But for the benefit of the church. A hammer is not intended to be put in a case and hung on a wall in a museum. It's intended to drive nails. If you don't use the hammer for its intended use, it's not much good. We are to use our gifts for God's intended use which is to build up the body of Christ. We're not to hang them on the wall in our own private museum and look at them ourselves and go, look at the gifts that I have. The gifts are given to us, but they're not for us. They're for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Which means that when you choose not to use your spiritual gifts, it's not just affecting you. It's affecting the entire body. If my spiritual gifts that are given to me are not given for me, but are given for you, and I don't use my spiritual gifts, it affects you. I'm responsible, and I'll be accountable for not using my gifts, but the impact goes far beyond me. It affects the greater body of Christ, which is true of every single one of us. It's like a selfish child who gets a set of walkie talkies for his birthday and his brother says hey let's go play and he grabs one of the walkie talkies and the kid says good that's mine you can't have it and he holds on to both of his walkie talkies and what good does that do hello hello can you hear me yeah what it does no good the gift is worthless every christian has been gifted by god those gifts are giving, given to each of us according to God's sovereign choice for the common good of the church. When we use them, the church is healthy. The lost see Christ. The needs of the saints are met and God is glorified. Moving on to number two, the variety and distribution of spiritual gifts. We at verses 8 through 10. For to one is given the word of Wisdom. Through the Spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. To another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, uh, another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Paul's intent here in this passage is not to give us a detailed description of each of these gifts or what they do or to give us an exhaustive list, but to show us that all of the gifts are given by the same Holy Spirit for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. These are all part of God's will. I will, I'm not going to go into the details, but because I'm, you may be interested, I'll just give you a simple definition of each of these gifts. The word of wisdom is the process of receiving and communicating divine information. So this was necessary before the completion of scripture when God's prophets and God's preachers and God's apostles would disseminate information from God. They got it by divine means and then they would divinely, uh, speak that truth, and that was necessary before the completion of Scripture. The word of knowledge is similar to the word of wisdom, but rather than the receiving of it, it's the applying of it. The applied knowledge. Taking that wisdom from God and then applying it. The gift of faith. This is a special assurance in God's Word. These are these people that just believe God All the time, no matter what. Most of us don't have that gift. We have the faith to believe for saving faith. But most of us, when something bad happens, don't look and say, it's all good. God's got this. We wring our hands and say, God, I hope you got this. So faith is just that belief, that assurance of God's word in action. The gift of healing was uniquely applied to people that had that gift who could heal any disease no matter what, most often done publicly, instantaneously, and verifiable. It wasn't, you have a pain in your lower back. I'm gonna, I, take the, I take that pain away right now. No, 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 don't deny the spirit. <laughs> I took that pain away. It still hurts. The effecting of miracles. This was a supernatural ability to temporarily suspend natural law. Things that couldn't normally be done can only be explained as being divine, like walking on water. Uh, That suspends the normal laws of nature. God still performs miracles, by the way, but nobody has this gift today. And if they do, shame on them for making us go through a year and a half of COVID. Prophecy, This, in, in the context in which it's used here in these chapters, it refers to the proclamation of God's word. It's not... It's not uh, foretelling things, it's foretelling. It's explaining God's Word, not uh, giving you new information. Distinguishing spirits, this is the ability to determine what was from God and what was from Satan. They could quickly identify the lies of the world, and uh, sometimes that's hard to determine because most good lies have an element of truth to them, uh, but the one that had the gift of distinguishing spirits could tell immediately. The, the one from God and the one from the devil. Various kinds of tongues. This is the ability to speak known language without ever having studied or learned another language. Just the, the innate ability that God has given to speak a language. And this enabled the gospel to travel quickly and the church to, to sweep across Asia Minor without language problems. Interpretation of tongues, this is the ability to hear and understand languages that you'd not previously understood. So you would hear somebody preach in a language that you didn't previously study, but you understood it, and then you could translate it into the language of the people that you knew. Some of these gifts were for the early age of the church, for the rapid growth of the church, and others are still in use today. Again, we don't have time to go into that this morning. That's a message in and of itself. Verse 11 is the distribution of the gifts That that reiteration. But one and the same Spirit works all things, all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. So the gifts that you have are given to you because it is the will of the Holy Spirit for you to have that gift or those gifts. And He gave you that in order to accomplish His purpose. The Holy Spirit does not make mistakes. The Holy Spirit did not gift you with your gifts and then walk away going, Oops, didn't mean to do that. Or, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to give you this other gift. Whatever gifts you have, gift or gifts that you have, is by God's intent for His purpose, for His will to be done in the church and in the world. We each have a unique gift mix. We are to use them in the way that God intends. They've all been given to us according to the will of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they are perfect in their variety and perfect in their distribution. And when we use them, God's perfect will is accomplished. Moving on to number three, the unity and the diversity of spiritual gifts. The unity and diversity of spiritual gifts. Paul is going to discuss the the unity and the diversity of these spiritual gifts, and he uses the human body as an analogy for the church, and it works perfectly. First, the unity of the body, verse 12. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one, are one body, so also is Christ. The diverse yet unified nature of the human body serves as a perfect analogy for the diversity and unity of the church. The human body is made up of different parts. So is the church. All those parts are to work together in order to function properly. It's true in the body. It's true in the church. The human body is made up of numerous systems. Nervous system, circulatory system, muscular system, skeletal system, digestive system, respiratory system, and many other things that function differently, but together they form a functioning human body. You you kill off one of those systems, or one of those systems stops working, and it either cripples the body or kills the body. Each part of the body is important. He says here in verse 12, the end of verse 12, So also is Christ. Paul reveals the close identity here with Christ and the church. He's easy using this term, so also is Christ. That is the unity that we have in Christ. That makes us all part of the church. We are one. We are unified. This is what Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Father, I pray that they all may be one, even as you and I are one. That there's this unity in the body. Verse 13. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We are all made to drink of one Spirit. Again, we are told that the Spirit places us where He wants us to be, and we are all unified. We All the, all of us who are believers have the same faith in the same God through the same blood of Jesus Christ, made alive by the same Holy Spirit, gifted by the same Holy Spirit, all for the purpose of, of building up the body, verse fourteen, from unity to diversity, for the body is not one member but many. Have you seen one of those post-apocalyptic movies where everybody's dressed the same? They all wear the same clothes. All the homes look the same. the The inference is diversity is the cause of all the problems of humanity. And then there's the the hero or the heroine who finally breaks loose of the mold and is and an individual and people follow the individual and everything is great and wonderful. Some people get the idea that the church is supposed to be like this post apocalyptic world and everybody's to look the same. I was telling a story yesterday to some folks when I was uh when I took my senior portrait for high school, my hair was onto my shoulders and parted down the middle. I looked cool. Uh, it was I could have had a ponytail a bit about that long, but I could have had a ponytail That summer I went to work at a I just went to for a week at camp I went with our juniors our, our our little kids went to camp and I went along as a counselor to help out when we got to the camp The adult that was supposed to be in the cabin with our boys got sick and had to leave And I was 17 years old and they 16 or 17. They came to me and said it must have been 17 They came to me and said hey, can you? Can you uh, be the counselor for this cabin? And I said, hey, I just want to serve, man. I'm just here to serve. I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's what you want me to do? That's fine. They said, great. We have a rule. Your hair has to be off your collar and above your ears. I remember saying, I don't care. That's fine. I just want to serve. So they took me in the kitchen and buzzed my hair. I got off the bus. My pastor said, didn't you have long hair when you left? And I didn't realize it at the time. I probably wouldn't have changed anything at the time. I just, did, I just wanted to serve. But there was this idea that if you're a Christian, if you're a man and you're a Christian, you can see the top of your ears and you can see the back of your neck. And if your hair touches any of those things, then you're not really a Christian. Facial hair was another anathema. All you COVID guys... saw churches where if a woman wore pants, she was ungodly. Got to look the same. Everybody's got to dress the same. same. That's not what Christianity is about. In fact, what Paul is saying here is, listen, we're different. We're not all the same part. We don't all look the same and we don't all do the same thing. We all do it for the same purpose. That's the important thing. Diverse in the church, diversity in the church is important. Because if we all had the same function, it wouldn't work very well. Because if we all had the same function, there'd be 200 people standing up on this platform all talking at the same time. And that wouldn't work very well. That the diversity is important. However, the diversity often leads some to be envious and others to be arrogant. Paul uses the analogy of the human body to show the foolishness of the envy or the arrogance. There's no room for envy. Look at verse 15 and 16. If the foot says, because I'm not the hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. The foot says, I don't like being a foot, I want to be a hand. Nobody ever says, foot it to me. They say, hand it to me. Nobody says, give me a high foot. Hey, can I shake your foot? I don't want to be a foot. I want to be a hand. The ear says, I don't like being an ear. I want to be an eye. Nobody says the ears have it. They say the eyes have it. (laughs) It's not the gong show. Let's say the ears are the window to the soul. Let's say the eyes are the window to the soul. I don't like, I, I, because I'm not a hand or because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It doesn't make a difference. You're still part of the body. And an important part of the body, by the way. The foot and the hand, and the, uh, is envious of the hand. The ear is envious or the eye, uh, the ear is envious of the eye. They assume that they're not important. They're not necessary to the part of the body. But despite their discontentment and the role that they were given, it doesn't make them any less a part of the body. They're only discontented part of the body. But they're still an important part of the body. They're not happy with how God made them, the part that he's created them to be. They are in essence saying, God, you made a mistake when you made me this part. But the diversity is necessary. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were a hearing, where would the sense of smell be? The senses of sight and hearing and smell are all important for a body to function together. It's all important. That's what Paul's saying. You may not have the same function, but that doesn't mean you're unimportant. Moreover, the design is God's will. Verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each of them, in the body just as he desired. So each of us are <clears throat> gifted the way God intended. We saw it in verse 7, that is all for the common good by the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, it was the will of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, this is God's will. God has placed us where He wanted us for His purpose. Look at verse 19 and 20. If they are all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. Standing out in the foyer, see a car drive in. Out comes a six foot bouncing blue eye. And Randy whispers over to me, What's that? And I said, You don't have to whisper, it's just an eye, it can't hear. And Randy says, well, what if it reads lips? (laughs) If we all have the same function, we don't function. So the diversity is necessary. We all make up the body and we're to be content with the gifts that God has given us. Verse 20, but now there are many members but one body. Just as there's no room for envy, there's no room for arrogance. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Hey, I'm a hand. You're just an eye. I don't need you. I can do this. Or I'm an eye. I don't need you, hand. Until you see that ball flying at you. (laughs) Hand, do something. You don't need me. There's no room for arrogance. Hey, I'm the eye. You're just a hand. On the contrary, verse 22, it is much truer that the members of the body which we, uh, which seem to be weaker, are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and the less presentable members become much more presentable. The parts of the body that seem weak are necessary. You know, the weakest part of your body is surrounded by a rib cage, And it's protected by bones and cartilage and muscle and skin. Because they're so important. I understand your arms and your legs and your eyes and your ears are all important. And we want those things, but we can live without them. We can't live without those internal organs. They're important. So the eye can't say, I don't need you. Or the head, I don't need the rest of you. I do all the thinking around here. Hey, without the rest of the body, it's meaningless. And those parts of the body that seem to be less honorable, those parts that, that aren't as visible, that don't get the attention. You know, people may compliment your eyes. When's the last time somebody complimented your liver? but try living without one. We look at the parts that are visible and think that's where it's at. But God has said here through Paul, on the contrary, the parts that seem to be feeble are much more necessary. And those parts that are, that are less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. What he's talking about, those those parts that are not suitable for public exposure. We dress up. We cover them up. We give them honor by the way that we adorn them. Whereas, verse 24, our more presentable members, that's the visible things, they have no need of it. But God has composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. My, my giftedness. My ministry. Brings along with it. In the course of my ministry. A certain amount of encouragement. Some of you don't. Experience that. In the use of your gifts. But God has said. You are more important to the body. And he's bestowed more abundant honor upon you. That's by His design. So that we aren't envious of one another. and We aren't arrogant. Verse 24 again. The second half of verse 24. But God has so composed the body. This is God's design. We need to remember that. We're to treat each other with the same care. We are intertwined to the degree that When one suffers, we all suffer, and one rejoices, we all rejoice. Look at verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's how interconnected we're to be. That when somebody hurts, we all hurt. When somebody rejoices, we rejoice. That's the kind of care we're to have for one another. Sometimes we're so independent in the way that we live, we have two errors. One, we don't get involved in caring for any other person. And two, we don't want anybody else to care for us. Then we're reminded again that we are the body of Christ. Verse 27 and following. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers and miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And He asks some rhetorical questions that all expect the answer, no. Are all, all are not apostles, are they? No. All are not prophets, are they? No. All are not teachers, are they? No. All are not workers of miracles, are they? No. All Do not have the gift of healings, do they? No. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? No. His point is, we all have differences. We all don't have the same thing. Not everybody has the same gift. That's how the body functions. That's what makes us function as a body. And then he says in verse 31, the first half, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Which would be, sharing the gospel, doing the work of an evangelist, those types of things. And he ends this section, the second half of verse 31, is the transition to chapter 13, where he says, and I show you a still more excellent way. He's just spent a chapter explaining spiritual gifts, the importance of spiritual gifts, the variety of spiritual gifts, the way they, they are different in their use. And these are all part of God's will for God's purpose to build up the body of Christ. And then he says, after all this explanation of spiritual gifts, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. That brings us to number four, the superiority of love. Look at verses one through three. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give my all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, and do not but do not have love, it profits me nothing. He gives three hypothetical scenarios. The first there in verse one, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have and and do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Paul is saying, if I speak with the tongues, plural there, of men, he is saying because he's using extremes in all three of these cases, all three of these verses, he is saying if I speak every language men speak, if I speak every language that there is for men to speak. You know what you call somebody who speaks three languages? Trilingual. If they speak two languages, they are bilingual. If they speak one language, they are American. (laughs) In almost every country that I've been to around the world, people that I meet know more than one language. They know two, three, or more than that. I've been in in countries where they where I've met people who knew 5 or 6 languages. When I speak I preach at a Burmese church right down here in downtown Kent, I speak in English, the man who translates for me his name is Lai, when Lai translates, he translates it into Burmese and Chin, which are two different languages, two different alphabets, two different everythings. So he knows English, Chin and Burmese and I think he knows Chinese. It's not uncommon to find people who know multiple languages. So Paul's not saying, if I know four languages. Because Paul probably did know at least three, if not more. Every good Jew in the time of Paul knew Hebrew. They knew Aramaic. And they knew Greek. And they probably knew some tribal dialect as well. So they all knew at least three languages anyway. So Paul is saying, if I know all the languages... According to estimates now, there, right now there are over 7,000 languages in the world. If there were only 10% of those languages in the time of Paul, that's over 700. <clears throat> and if you only took a percentage of that, Paul would be saying, if I spoke 100 different languages, that would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? But he's saying, if I spoke all the languages of men. And add on to that the languages of angels, assuming that they have their own language. He so said, even if I did that, we would all be going, dude, say something else in a different language. How do you say hello in, you know, give me, me 3,000 ways to say hello? He says, even if I, had, I could do all that, but I do not have love... I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. All I'm doing is producing hollow noise. Even if I could speak every language that there is. If I don't have love, it's meaningless. Second scenario. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I become... Nothing. Paul says, first of all, if I know all mysteries. A mystery is something that has not been revealed yet. Things that God knows that man doesn't know. Paul is saying, if I know everything God knows. If I know everything that God has yet to reveal. I know everything about God, all his plans, everything that can be known. If I had all knowledge, this is complete knowledge. It is, if he understood every complex thing that there is, if he understood all of the mysteries of the world, all the complex knowledge, if he understood uh, all the scientific jargon, if he understood algebra, if he understood the success of Willie Nelson, if he understood all mysteries, he all knowledge. In other words, if he's omniscient, there's nothing outside of his knowledge. That'd be pretty impressive. And he adds to that, if I had all faith so as to remove mountains, this is unlimited mountain-moving faith. That he could come to Seattle and we could say, can you move the clouds so I can see the mountain? (laughs) If he had all of those things, that would be pretty amazing. But he says, if I effectively were omniscient and I had faith, and complete knowledge. But I didn't have love. Look at what he says. I am nothing. He would have the most spectacular gifts you and I could even fathom. And Paul says, but if I don't love, I'm nothing. The third scenario. In verse 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not love it profits me nothing. Paul is again using these extremes to make his point. if he said, if I gave everything that ever came through my hand away in order to feed the poor, and if I sacrifice my own body, if I my body to be burned, we might use if I stepped in front of a bullet for you And he wraps it up and says, after if I sacrificed everything, if I don't do it out of love, it profits me nothing. The three hypothetical situations Paul uses, the extremes, if he had the extreme gifts, extreme service, extreme sacrifice, all of these are ultimately meaningless if they're not done out of love. After all the discussion of spiritual gifts, after telling us all how important each one in the body is, after telling us that the Holy Spirit has gifted each and every one of us with one or more gifts for the common good, Paul says, put the spiritual gifts as important as they are, as crucial as they are. Put them in the proper perspective, because if you don't exercise them out of love, it doesn't mean a thing. It's not enough to have the gifts of the Spirit. We must have the grace of the Spirit. The first word mentioned in the gifts of the Spirit is love. Love enhances the gifts that you and I have been given. And it gives them value. Our spiritual gifts apart from love have no value. To aspire to walk in love is far better than to have aspirations of possessing some specific spiritual gift. It's better to love people than to have people write books about you. It's better to love people than to... Have people know your name. It's better to love people and serve behind the scenes than to be a great church leader. It's better to love one another than it is to write stirring hymns that rival amazing grace. It's better to love people than to write a theology book that becomes a bestseller. After all the discussion and the importance of spiritual gifts, Paul says the more excellent way Love one another. More excellent than all of those gifts combined is to love one another. Before we could come to Christ in repentance, He came to us in love. He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The most important thing you and I can do in our service to Christ is to love one another. I'll say it one more time. The most important thing you and I can do in our service for the Lord is to love one another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You first loved us. Because if You didn't love us first, we could never love You. We would never know what it is to love one another in the way that You want us to. Father God, I pray that You would help us to see the importance of this. To understand that love is crucial. Father, we want to understand and use our gifts for your glory and for your honor for the good of your church. But Father, we must not lose sight of the more excellent way. And Father, we pray that that will be the driving force. That love will be the driving force behind everything that we do. Every act of service may be driven by love for you. And love for one another. And Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord, I pray that they would see the love of Christ today, and come to saving faith. For your glory and honor, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you please?